Alright. So what's our usual? Is it hello and welcome to you do the hello and welcome to very good at that. Am I? Yeah. Hello and welcome to finally another edition of the Big Feels Podcast. It's only been a year. Hello and welcome to the Big Feels Club Podcast. It's only been about a year. I think that's pretty timely. We have a very liberal production schedule in the Big Feels household slash HQ. Yeah, we've got a liberal approach to the concept of regular. (laughs) To the concept of a podcast. (laughs) But with the way, because we have not only Graham and Honor, your usual Big Feels hosts, we have a third Big Feels clubber in the house, Gareth Edwards. Hello, Big Feelers. Hi. I'm incredibly regular. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Good information for our listeners to have. Do you have any tips? On regularity? Yeah. Um, Yeah, a lot of bran, good fibre. Fibre from the fields of the South Island of New Zealand, your home. Yes. Top of the South Island, Aotearoa, Mm -hmm. land of the long white cloud. Indeed. Originally from the currently United Kingdom. (laughs) Currently United Kingdom. Land of the long grey cloud. Ooh, dear. (laughs) All right, so we have a bunch of questions that you people have sent in, you lovely people. We'll have time for a few and we will do our best to give you some interesting answers, although we do have the, the, the caveat, which is sometimes the answer is finding other people asking the same big question, mm. which is not only the Big Feel slogan, but also our way of saying, we may not know the answer to all these questions. <laughs> and that's okay. All right, we're going to start with a question from Chris. Hi, Honor, Graham, and Gareth. My name is Chris, and I'm recording this from outside my work in my car because I've managed to forget my shoes. My question is one for everybody, an open one for all. How do you differentiate or identify between a useful coping mechanism and a crutch? For example, when does avoiding certain situations devolve from having a reasonable awareness of your mental state or health into a mere exercise in avoidance? Thank you, everybody. So I have some thoughts on this, but I'm curious to hear from either of you to begin with. I guess I'm curious as to what the difference between a coping mechanism and a crutch is. Because mm. they sound kind of similar. Mm. And I guess it's the usefulness of it mm. for me. Mm. Yeah, like if it's, if it's still serving a good purpose, then it's kind of neither. It's just a, it's just a good thing to do. Mm. But then, yeah, once you start identifying it with some value judgment of a crutch or a coping mechanism, then already you're seeing it as something that perhaps you don't want anymore or served its purpose or is ready to go. Yeah, that's interesting. So the same thing might be a crutch at a certain point and a coping mechanism at another point. I think that's what Chris is saying, though. Like, when do you know the difference? Hmm. I think about this with Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) So actually Vice released a report recently on trends amongst Gen Zers and millennials saying that gone is this idea of wanting to idealise things. Now what we want is ordinary. And there's a lot more kind of gear towards that kind of thing in our advertising and representation and who's in ads, blah, blah, blah. Mm. 
This is going to get back to the question. I'm just thinking this is such an honoristly answer to this question. (laughs) I'm hanging on for where it comes back. Please. So one thing that I've noticed, I can understand that move towards the ordinary, towards relatable. And I think about it in terms of Instagram of like following more stuff that I'm like, yeah, that gets me. Oh, yeah, I totally feel that. Mm. But then how that can also go to another extreme Mm. of (laughs) there's this tweet that's like hashtag always put yourself first, you know, don't go to work if you don't have to, don't do what your boss says if you don't want to, Mm -hmm. actually like leave your boyfriend and fly to Las Vegas and become a spy. Like it's it's better than that, but it's kind of like that. It's like that taken to the most logical extreme yeah. of of put yourself first, you're the most important thing, uh, all that kind of business. So I think that there's <laughs> there can be a real movement towards that self self. It's kind of self care, right? It's kind of built under this banner of self care, but it's actually. It's kind of like avoid all your responsibilities because self-care is the most important thing. But the problem is that completely ditching all of your responsibilities in a way that like destroys your relationships or like destroys your what's going on for you with your work or whatever is really shitty for your life. So I kind of think about it like that of like I understand this movement towards stuff that's more relatable, stuff that's like, yeah, let's look after ourselves. But there, there just like has to be some kind of balance. Yeah. So it's this thing of self-acceptance has become... The uh, new black. Well, th- it's become a real focus in the past, how, however long would you say, probably the past 10 years, mm. maybe longer. The, the thing that's interesting is exactly that question of what if you want to change? Mm. What if you want to grow? And what is the role of self-acceptance and what is the role of... There's, a, there's an actual a, a phrase, a guy named David Brooks. He's written a book about how to, how to build character, which is a deliberately very kind of old school right. way of yeah. phrasing it. And it's, it is specifically reacting to this, what he sees as an overemphasis on self-acceptance. And so he posits this other idea, which is self-overcoming. The idea that, you know, you do need a certain amount of discipline and amount of willingness to push past the things that you want to push past, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you're making me think of recently I did a talk where someone asked about, they were saying, they said this thing about Instagram, that they're seeing all this stuff that they're really relating to, but also they feel like, am I just like wallowing in all of this stuff? Of like, yeah, I am a really anxious person or I find that really difficult to do and it's good to have that thing of like, yeah, I'm not alone, I accept this part of myself, that's really relatable. But they're like, I don't want to become that. And yeah, and I, th- I think it's that balance, eh? Yeah. yeah. I think it comes back to that balance. And what, what, I, what I says is it's like if you polarise it, like do we self-accept or do yes. we build character? It's like yeah. why are we saying the word all? Yes. Why have we made this a choice between looking after myself and doing well yeah. or being responsible and being, you know, building that character, having some challenges to overcome? Yeah. It's the either all thing. Yeah. And that's what sells, right? Because it's yeah. like, great, I'm in, I'm in the too much carrots and need more self-care space, so I'll go and respond to the self-care stuff. Or you feel like you're just being sort of self-indulgent and just yeah. like you say, just washed through with it. It's like, okay, now I'll go and do something more substantial. And yeah, it's like going back and forth. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely it. And I think I mean I think that speaks to where we are as a culture and that we like things to be black and white, but it also does speak to to come back to Chris's question, the challenge of it being so uncertain. Like the challenge of being someone who maybe has a bit of a harder time with certain things than your friends seem to, or at least that you know of, you know, the things that you don't necessarily share with one another, but who also wants to, as all humans do, keep growing and learning and changing. And that the there's something uncomfortable about the fact that it does have to be both at once. Well, well yeah, I'd really just question that. <laughs> Go on. Just because I had an experience last night, I was in Brisbane and this lady came out. So me and a friend who'd, you know, another another big feeler were chatting away. Mm. And this person came out of the hotel for a smoke and she was, I don't know, maybe mid-twenties. And she was just blasted on vodka from the minibar. And she was just totally, authentically, uh, obnoxiously, rudely herself. <laughs> and gloriously so, right? Just like totally entertaining. Yeah. And... I don't think she would think that she constantly wants to change and develop and grow. Yeah. She just was just doing her thing. She was dropping her friend at the airport and was just completely natural and who she was and didn't care, mm. you know? Like, and maybe she'll get to a point where she'll go, oh, maybe there is more to this or maybe there is, a, you know, some self-exploration or meaning to be found, but maybe she won't. Mm. And I think the fact that you can ask a question like that, like when does a coping mechanism mm-hmm. become a crutch, shows a certain level of desire for that growth yeah. that, that is worth honouring in itself. Yeah. Like, 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 look at the thing that's really basic in that. Yes. Like, as in, if you're asking that question, we're already talking advanced level <laughs> uh, self-reflection. Uh, well, maybe not advanced, but just a level <laughs> of Sorry, Chris. <laughs> well, a, a level of, of atten- attention. Because what was funny is lots of people was judging this woman last night who came out of the hotel drunk. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, what are you judging her for? Yeah, she, she's in the big city having a drink from a minibar. Mm. Like she's not harming anyone. Yeah, she's pretty loud, but this is Australia, right? So you know, <laughs> she's she's up against some fierce competition. And yeah, but I think if you are that kind of person, mm. then things like coping mechanisms are actually really important. Yeah, the fact that you're seeing them in that way. So you might we might go, oh, look at that lady. She's coping with life by drinking too much vodka. Mm. And, but that's our perspective of it. Mm. But if that's important to you, then you've kind of already got something of worth. Mm. I guess I sensed in Chris's question was like, this kind of like, oh, is this a bad thing that I'm doing? Mm. Well, I guess it's only bad if you're kind of done with it and it's old. Mm. And that, and that I think, is the heart of it. So, and there's two timelines to this. And we could, well, I mean, we could talk about this question all day, so maybe we'll not spend too much longer. But for me, there's, there's this sort of short-term question of, Am I not pushing myself hard enough right now or do I actually just need an easy week, for instance? But there's also this long-term question and I think that kind of speaks to a little bit of what you're saying, Gareth. So, Is the long-term question, when do I get to relax and enjoy my life? <laughs> <Is it that? laughs> I'm sure someone has sent that in and I do not have an answer to you. No, this, this thing of, for me, the question of when it starts to become your identity. So, so I'll give you an example. So my example is, I don't particularly naturally enjoy gatherings of humans in my house. Like this is my cue to leave. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't quite a gathering. This is more of a how many is a gathering? <laughs> it's more of a meeting of minds. Like oh, specifically yeah. hosting, I find stressful. 
And I've always found it stressful for lots of reasons. A big one being, wait, you mean I can't leave the party when I'm done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that is so you. And so I would get in my head about it and, and, I, and I wouldn't want to do it. And I happened to have a bunch of amazing friends who were all gourmet chefs and extremely generous with their kind of houses and homes and... Cooking skills. And their gourmet chefery. And no, their no. gourmet chefery. And I love that. And I, I love that about our friend group. But over time... I got more and more uncomfortable with the fact that I wasn't reciprocating yeah. very often. And I kind of had a period of needing to say to myself, well, that's just not who I am. I'm not good at that. I'm a bit anxious. I'm not the kind of person who does that. Yeah. And so that was important. That was an important kind of level of accepting that about myself. Yeah. But where I'm at now, and I think this speaks to what you're saying, Gareth, like, it sort of depends on exactly how you are actually relating to it. I began to relate to that difference between me and my friends more and more in terms of guilt rather than acceptance yeah and that's when for me i realized the only way forward out of that particular trap was to just fucking host mm. and see what happened and so i did I, I i had a whole thing where i said to my friends guys it's gonna happen i'm gonna actually have you around and i spent three hours making one salad the day that I was having them because I was so stressed by it all. And I'm thinking, how does anyone ever do this? And I definitely didn't enjoy myself. What? I was very stressed the whole time. But I did it and afterwards, like it was, went well. And I, afterwards I just felt different. Mm. I had suddenly become someone who could do that. Yeah. Still not as naturally or as easily as my mates can, but I could do it. So my question then, because you said, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I like woke up one day, like, that's it. Now I'm no longer a socially anxious person and, and I'm going to make salad. <laughs> For three hours. Like I would possibly, like, I'd be really curious as to what was happening then because mm. that might, you know, speak to what Chris is saying. It's mm. like now it mm. feels like I just did it. And then I proved I could do it. I got through it and I actually feel better for doing that. And now I feel better equipped to go and do more of it. Yeah. But there was probably a point where it's like there's some things happening that got you to the point where you said, I'm just going to do this because I, maybe it's, you know, I want the experience of doing it more than I want the guilt of not doing it. I think, yeah, the answer to that question is there was a long period of confusion and doubt, which is part of that mm. transition. And I, and I also want to be clear that, that I, like you are saying, Gareth, like there isn't, necessarily a transition that needs to happen like mm. it may be like there are, i'm sure there are other things in my life that you know we, we're very glad that i don't push myself to do skydiving i've oh, i've done that yeah <laughs> that, skydiving that was again. really good skydiving again checking the oil in my car oh no no no! best I want, left to honor no we want you to do that you're so much better at it. <laughs> mm. but yeah for me i think yeah what it was was this this period of discomfort and growing discomfort and I wonder if that's where Chris's question is coming from. Mm. And I suppose, you know, from the inside of that experience, all I can say is there's a way to gently test the theory. Gently test the theory that I'm a fuck up who can't host. Mm. And if, it, if that proves to be true, like if I did it and genuinely just hated it, then that becomes more data. Mm. And I can find a kinder, better way of making sense of that. I'm not a fuck up. I'm just not a hoster. Yeah. But... Equally, you, you, you may find that, that you can do certain things. How was the dinner party for you? I wasn't there. <laughs> First time he was, I wasn't there. Yeah, she didn't, to be fair, you did help me figure out what I was going to make. Helped him with all the prep. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't there for the All the work thing. and no glory. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. 
I guess um, one thing that I thought when you was, if the question is how do I move on from a a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. then that is something that that you know we spoke about in the last podcast. There's certainly no feeling is final. Mm-hmm. Is yeah going back to that radical gratitude for what was once mm. really, really useful. Yeah. And like even the classics, like I'm still really grateful for the 20 years I smoked cigarettes. Yeah. God knows what damage I've done to my body and I hope my insurance company isn't listening to me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm really grateful for every one of those cigarettes. I don't want to smoke anymore. Mm. It looks kind of odd to me now. Mm. But, you know, I spent seven years getting rid of that coping mechanism from the moment I decided I didn't want it, want it anymore. And yeah, feeling grateful was a big part of that. So how do you get that? Because I imagine some people listening and thinking, how can I, how can I find some gratitude? Particularly for something. So if someone's in that in between spot mm. that I'm describing, that thing where you are increasingly uncomfortable with something that you do, but you're not ready to do it differently yet, how do you find some gratitude there? Hmm. I'm shit at that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do that bit. <laughs> I just kind of like look at the net result, mm. you know, pros and cons. So I'm trying, <laughs> trying to think of like, I don't know. I'm kind of bad at being on time to stuff. Right. I noticed that it makes me really stressed whenever I'm late. That was expensive. Like, mm. don't, like, you know, to be late was expensive and I was seeing late all the time. Mm. So I was like, oh, man, this, this is really annoying. Why am I doing this? But I don't know. That's not really a self-care strategy, being like, like, why the hell am I doing that? <laughs> yeah, it's more of a... Uh, I, think, I reckon if you explored it, it might be. Oh, interesting. I've got this whole thing about being just in time. So when I was, <sighs> I was young... Yes. I joined the, I was in the scouts for years and the cubs and we had this game like every year we'd go around and visit other scout huts yeah. and part of, so every every hut you went to was a challenge like some sort of puzzle or you know something to work out but the other rule was you could only arrive and knock on the door of the other scout hut within one minute before <laughs> and one minute after so there was no bonus for being early yeah uh-huh. and there was you know there was Penalties for being too early and penalties for being too late. You had yeah. to be on time, yeah. punctual. And I just loved it. Yeah. And even now, I'm like, if I could time something uh, for like 15 seconds within the, the thing of it, I'm like, I win. I've won points, you know? I, I've noticed this about myself because I, I get very stressed if I'm running late and I, and I spend the whole drive or the, the whole tram ride exactly. lo- looking at my map ETA to see if I've carved off another And then minute. like, but, like but, working out what level of apology is required yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah. seven minutes late. Do I just late not go? Versus no, but, 14 minutes late. But the other thing is equally though, I get, I get stressed if I'm early because I'm like, I could have stayed home another yeah. 10 minutes. So but I reckon if, yeah, if we wanted to, you could delve into that and find out what's driving that behavior yeah oh i'm sure we could find something but but i'm curious so the Garrett, gratitude yeah so your answer to that so yeah so so you know you're out there whether it's turning up late whether it's turning up militantly on time whether it's smoking cigarettes whether it's not wearing shoes for potentially therapeutic reasons Chris, <laughs> I imagine. um what what do you say to someone who's in that kind of in-between space who kind of is starting to think about ch- changing something but but hasn't got that gratitude I guess the first the first step is always awareness. Mm. Notice 
you know, you, often it's easy to notice when we've done it. Mm. You know, this is the whole eating cake in the fridge light in your underwear at 2 a.m. <laughs> like, oh, how am I here now eating cake? And it's my son's cake. And oh dear, oh dear. this isn't going to look good. It's you his know? birthday tomorrow. Uh oh. <laughs> you know, so for me, the fact that you notice that that's a coping mechanism, because the other times you're just sleepwalking through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the lady at the hotel, she gets to the hotel, she drinks. Mm. <laughs> What's there to think about, mm. you know? But maybe at some point I'll just go, oh, every time I do this and this happens, you know. So mm. finding the awareness of it and then and then being attentive to that. Like if you're like, okay, that's it. I want to quit smoking. Mm. That's a classic. So many people want to do it. Mm. You know, there's a school of thought that bring your awareness to every single cigarette. Mm. Notice what it's doing. Notice what you're doing with your hands. Don't just light up and smoke. Mm. You know, Yeah, like, same thing with food, hey? Definitely. Yeah. I've been noticing this actually even just because one of my, I don't even know if this is a habit or yeah, just what's your thing? how I am, but I'm extremely physically tense mm. 24-7. And I've, what I have been noticing just this past couple of weeks has been doing a little bit of mindfulness stuff, you know, circling back to that, something I've tried many times, but deciding to give it a go again. And I'm not any less tense, but I'm noticing how tense I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Step one. Yeah. Step one. I'm also keen to hear, Gareth, your audiobook guide to mindfully smoking cigarettes. I feel like <laughs> there's, a, there's a niche in there. A Inhale, exhale. <laughs> like the postmodern yoga pranayama breathing technique, but with nicotine. <laughs> I think the thing for me is like, but like just, Stuff that I know isn't useful, but that I keep doing. That's mm. stuff I find much harder. Uh, so it's not even necessarily coping strategy. It's just something you do. Yeah, I have like, so <laughs> in a schema therapy kind of sense, in terms of modalities, I, I haven't actually talked to you about this. You and your fancy therapy terms. Yeah, I'm so fancy. You heard it here first, folks. I feel like schema therapy is the cool new therapy. Sure. It's the new act. Yeah. I don't know. You go. I just I sound casual about it. Like, I'm not going to be all like, yeah, I am really cool. Yeah. Um, we're not sponsored by schema therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're sponsored by Mindful Cigarettes, the, uh, the Gareth Edwards audio, audio tape. Uh, I have massive, like, avoidant protector mode. So anything I'm scared of, I just avoid like the plague. Mm, yeah. And it's, it creates way bigger problems and it freaks me out. And I know this. Mm. I'm so conscious of it. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, Michelangelo's David, you know, carved out of marble. Like I'm just like. I still got to rock. <laughs> like, I am nowhere close to that, to anything that looks like a human form. <laughs> I'm screwed. Hey, but you've got to rock. Right? Like I get the first, step, the first step is awareness, but I'm like, I'm just really aware of how much this does not look like a human. So is that awareness though? Because that feels like that, that's, that's judgment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but like... That, this is like a perfect trap because if your way of dealing is avoidance mm. and you're aware and then you try and avoid like avoid yeah you could definitely that. yeah you could definitely get caught up in yourself which is <laughs> kind of my thing 
On brand. That's that's my. That, I know that's definitely my thing. I mean, I'm kind of boring. I don't have any sort of normal vices. All under the surface. Yeah, it's all like the hard to move marble rock stuff. I think it's it's sort of almost back to to the question, which is what's awareness and what's judgment. Yeah, and there's definitely yeah. There's definitely a space between noticing and having an opinion of. And is there a, is there space for like giving yourself a kick up the ass? Mm. Like mindfully. Yeah, mindfully. Like kindly? Kind a kind, a kind kick, kick up, up the, the ass. ass. A kind kick. Like so cuz I think that this goes back to the first thing of like acceptance acceptance it's all okay of like oh you're so but like I don't know. I feel like sometimes, you know, the job is holding your own hand and holding your own hand when you're being a bit of a petulant shit. Mm. Um, <laughs> when you're like, oh, God, you hit this again? All mm-hmm. right. Okay. Well, I mean, particularly with avoidance. Because yeah. <laughs> clearly if you're avoiding something, there's something for you on the other side of what you're avoiding. Otherwise, you wouldn't even have a perspective on that thing. Yeah. So, like, for you, Graham, you know, you're like, you've got all these people chefing out on you and hosting you, like, <laughs> wow, that looks amazing. I wonder if I could ever be that guy. Yeah. I would never have that thought in my head. Mm. It just, it's not part of my story. Mm. I don't know enough gourmet chefs, yeah. clearly. <laughs> but the fact that you've got this thing that you've got, like, I, I feel bad that I don't do that, yeah. straight away it's like there's something there. And it's either like, like you say, more data, more insight on who you are, or it's yeah. like, holy shit, I'm a great salad maker and hoster, yeah. you know, or somewhere in between. But there's yeah. something beyond the thing you're avoiding. Yeah. So you're right. You've got to find a way to really honor that mm. and say, there is something for me down that path. But then it's the gently bit. Like you can kick yourself up the ass, but how do you do that gently is, is a different matter. Yeah. And I think for so many of us, Sensitive cats, judgment is the first form of awareness. Like, yeah. It starts there. Write that one down. <laughs> judgment is the first form of awareness. And yeah. that is maybe a useful step. Well, I would say one thing you can play with is cultivating awareness of the things that you don't judge. Oh, uh, yeah. So go to the happy stuff mm. and go, oh, look, that soy mocha made me really happy. Like, don't just go, I'm happy because I've got a soy mocha. Because not everybody would like a soy mocha. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, look, these are the things that bring about this emotional response or this thought pattern. So you're sort of tuning into the gap between what's happening Mm. and your perspective of what's happening. Mm Because I think you're dead right. I think when you feel things strongly, Mm. it's really quick to go to judgment or Mm. self-loathing or some sort of negative perspective on it. We're kind of hardwired for that. Mm. So cultivating the opposite of like, oh, it's a sunny day and I feel good about that. <laughs> Not everybody likes the sun. You know, I've got a bunch of people in Nelson going, oh, thank God Autumn's here. I hate it when it's too hot and I get sweaty. And Autumn's lovely though, you know. But if you're a sun person, it's like just notice the, just to, just to train yourself in the gap between awareness and perspective. Mm. Okay, uh, we are now going to hear another question. From another big feeler, this time from Amy. Hi, my name is Amy and I am recording this from Canberra. My question is for all three of you and my question is, do you think that there's a misconception in our society that people are only allowed to feel depressed if something really awful has happened to them? And is there any merit to that idea? 
i.e. is the fact that I get depressed even though my life is so privileged. Just another sign of how privileged I am. (laughs) I think I get depressed about how depressed I get when I don't have anything to be depressed about. Like it's a a self-fulfilling. So you get depressed about how depressed you get when you have nothing to be depressed about. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's just sort of like a like a shame loop, mm-hmm. you know, like a ripple effect. Yep. Yeah. And, but it's no, it's like the ripples without the like pebble dropping in the middle. Mm. So right. So like, if you haven't got a cause. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. You've like got all the ripples going on, and then you're judging the fact that they're there because there was no <laughs> pebble dropping in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You could retrofit that and create your own pebble, eh? I mean, I think sometimes people do do that. It makes me think of years ago, I remember a friend uh, going through a breakup and then going out and getting really smashed. And then he was like, yeah, it's so that I feel on the... uh, I feel physically how I do emotionally, mm-hmm. which is absolutely wrecked. And I was like, that's an interesting kind of approach. Yeah, there's a certain logic there. See, I have the opposite reaction. I'm like, no, I cannot possibly. I'm too, like, fragile. I will upset the body chemistry. It's such a big question, that one. It, it, it's, it's essentially, and this, this, is, this could be generational, actually, thinking about how we understand the concept of depression. Mm. But for me, my understanding of that concept is basically feeling shit for no obvious reason. It's kind of the definition of it. But we've also, you know, we sit uneasily with that as a culture and we, we, we nonetheless continue looking for reasons, whether they're... But what do you mean by no obvious reason? So generally when we talk about depression uh, it's as distinct from say something like grief which may look exactly the same Mm. look and feel exactly the same but has an obvious cause like Mm. someone is gone that's what I mean no obvious yeah but I think of depression as kind of being like life grief like it's you know it's something about feeling like something is missing or not going the way it should be or feeling you know like there's some sense of loss or future loss or mm. but again that's there's a cause hey you're looking you're like i feel depressed or bad because of those things that you just said mm. but i think and i i am guessing this based on having heard questions like amy's from other big feelers in, in various conversations i'm wondering if what's maybe behind that is life grief that doesn't have any justification and what I mean by that is, ah, so I hear this a lot from people yeah. saying, and it's particularly from people of 20s, 30s, but maybe others as well. I hear this thing of my life on paper is mm. going well, but I still feel like a complete fucking failure. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I feel like I am that person. But <laughs> there's the on paper and then there's, the back of the paper, yeah. which is where you see all the scrubby holes and you're like, it's not going that well. I just have a good-looking LinkedIn profile. <laughs> and <laughs> I literally only just started a LinkedIn profile under immense social pressure. Gareth, I'm curious your take on this. Um, the question, mm. is there a misconception 
that people are only allowed to feel depressed if something bad has happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, is the short answer. Yeah. I definitely think there's a misconception about that. And certainly when I had my own experiences, which were in their 20s, which was exactly that looking at the paper, and it was paper because there was no social media. So mm. it's literally looking at the analysis of your life and going, well, shit, everything should be great. Mm. I'm ticking all the boxes. Why don't I feel great? And my experience, and particularly when I encountered the, the health services that were there to help, is they made the distinction between situational depression and uh, chronic depression. Yeah. Mm. That thing of like, particularly, I think sometimes there's this delineation between situational and sometimes it gets named as biological. Yeah. So, and, and all they really say with the biological is like, we don't know. Mm. We don't know why you're depressed. Mm. You don't know why you're depressed. With situational, it's really clear. Mm. And interestingly, when I got depressed, they were like, well, this is situational, Gareth. You know, you've been a student for a long time you got a lot of debt you've took a lot of psychedelic drugs <laughs> you know you're living in quite tough circumstances you know you kind of hitting your mid-20s you feel a bit directionless like sure you're depressed because of xy reason but then interestingly when i went the reverse and went happy then super happy then what they call mania and bipolar like, oh, no, 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 sorry, that wasn't situational depression. That that was actually just biological or mm. chronic depression. Oh, as in re retro... Definitely. Retrospectively. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, actually, right. you have a predisposition to being depressed. Huh. So, sure, you might have had some factors that were kind of at play, but basically you're going to have to ride the waves of being depressed and manic for the rest of your life. Mm. So all of a sudden I went from, oh, I know why I'm depressed. It's because bits of my life yeah. need to change to, oh, I just, I've just going to be depressed and there's no rhyme or reason mm. and then the only thing they threw in there is oh you know you might want to watch out for the seasons because it might be seasonally huh. triggered and that's the best they had mm. and you know i guess i guess when i experienced all that it was like oh you know you've got real depression now mm. you haven't got that kind of wishy-washy stuff that's basically like pull yourself together or take a few pills do a bit of counseling you'll be fine mm. you've got the real stuff mm. and it and it wasn't as uh liberating as perhaps it should have been yeah see that's exactly what i'm sitting here wondering because i'm also thinking i i wonder if if this feeling that i'm not allowed to feel this way is kind of there no matter what the situation so i'm thinking of you know people who like okay i got divorced three years ago and there are still times i feel completely blown apart about that and the inside experience of that is, even though there's a really obvious reason, I shouldn't still feel this way about it. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, and that's, yeah. not, that's not the intellectual, I'm saying it's the, kind of the inside. Like I can tell myself, of course, you feel how you feel. Yeah. But the inside experience of it is, even though there's a reason, it still doesn't explain how I'm feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember when, and so much of that is kind of what, uh, your expectation is of how other people respond to stuff. Mm. So I remember when my cat died a long time ago, I was really cut up about it. Yeah. And around a similar time, um, one of my grandparents died and I was way more cut up about my cat dying. Yeah. Can't believe I'm saying that into a microphone. And I thought like, this is all weird. I should not be responding this way. Yeah. And my partner at the time 
also felt that way. <laughs> it was like, um, you got some, yeah, this is like, yeah. And I, I felt really, you know, obviously pretty shit about that. I was like, I'm going crazy of my cat dying until I Googled pet dying grief. And then there was this, you know, blogs, people being like, it's actually really normal to be surprised by how upset you get when a pet dies. Mm. Particularly compared to relatives because you see your pet every day. Sometimes for some people it sleeps in bed with you. Mm. You see it all the time and Mm. so it's super weird for that, that, you know. The ups and such. Yeah, to be gone in ways that's, that's very different to a relative that you might not see that often. And, yeah, it's completely normal. So, you know, there's this stuff around your expectations around how you're supposed to feel or yeah. your perceived expectations Definitely. around how you're supposed to feel. So I'm, I'm curious, to bring it back to Amy's question, I, this is something I think is, 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 a, is a really common experience for people who are sensitive people is, is to often feel that their feelings don't make sense. Yeah. Whether whether there's a thing or not, and 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 um. But think about the words you just used. Yeah. So to go on, go on. <laughs> you said feelings don't make sense. Yeah. So like, let's just go cliche. You know, emotions aren't thoughts. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Yeah. So you're looking at an emotion. <laughs> so you're looking at the emotion of it. Yeah. Which I can't even give you words for. I can say emotional feeling. You know, sort of it's physiological, whatever. Yeah. And then you're like, why don't they make sense? It's because they're not directly translatable to thoughts. Yeah. And certainly not to language. Mm. Language ill serves us every single time. Yeah. But isn't that just kind of a known thing? Like, yes, feelings d- kind of d- do make sense. They also don't make sense. It's a whole bundle of stuff. And <laughs> and what I what I'm just realizing now is this this idea of like my feelings don't make sense and that's a problem mm. or this thought pattern doesn't add up and that's a problem or I am responding to this worse than other people and that's a problem yeah. that is uh that is like a top ten hit thought process yeah like that's a that's a meta one. And you know, your thoughts about your thoughts, yeah. It's a judgment. Yeah. Mm. And normally when you get that judgment, like I should be over my divorce, I should be mm. over my cat. Yeah. It's somebody else's judgment because mm. you feel how you feel. Mm. But I think it makes sense that if you have a propensity to think that way, you, you, like a, you have a propensity to think that way about a lot of different things. Yeah. Because you're well-versed. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess one thing I'd say, which is... Because so with the questions, there's the subtext of the question. The questions we're getting asked. Yeah, yeah, like there's a subtext of those that I also think is really worth exploring a little bit. Mm. Like inherent in this question is that the experience of depression is a bad thing. Mm. Mm. And I totally refute that. <laughs> I just, com- if, if, if there's one thing I could change in this thing we call mental health, yeah. is that depression is bad. Mm. Depression is just an experience. 
We get to decide. Where, like, I know it's it's challenging. It's pretty awful. I know it's, it's upsetting. It's pretty shit, Gareth. Yeah, no, upsetting. <laughs> I'll give you upsetting, distressing, challenging, but bad. Because bad implies wrong. Mm. Mm. Like, let's take the good, bad thing out. Let's admit that it's really sad. Like, grief is distressing, challenging, upsetting. But we don't say grief is bad. We go, that's a human experience. And really interesting, when you look at the classification of health Mm. and mental health, grief, there's there's always a discussion about whether grief counts as a mental illness. Yeah, the Mm. grief experience. And at the moment, we're in the book, we're in the DSM. Yeah. Elements of grief, if they impact on your functionality, are considered a mental illness. Mm. But you go that back. Seems kind of silly. Yeah, so it, wa- it waxes and wanes because we all know it's a human experience that's valid, useful, legitimate, completely appropriate to the situation, though we could probably do a lot better how we manage death in general. But in any case, mm. we don't pathologize it. But then we take this other stuff and we go, no, 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 that's an illness. And it's either because you've had a shit experience or you've got some brain chemicals that are out of whack. But either way, you're, you're broken and need being fixed. Mm. If I could change one thing, it would be that. Mm. Yeah. I know it's horrible. Why is it that we have this thing, you know, the whole, like, grief comes out in different ways. Mm. Everyone deals with it differently. Sometimes it's unexpected. How come we don't have that approach to, like, life? Exactly. (laughs) Life comes out in different ways. Sometimes it's unexpected. (laughs) Sometimes people respond in ways that don't make sense. Like, (laughs) (laughs) if we're talking about depression as life grief. Yeah. (laughs) And and there is something in that phrasing. Like, so so part of what you're saying, Gareth, that that really speaks to me is that uh, language can't hold these feelings. And certainly this kind of, you know, we've invented this particularly dry, jargonistic medical language for a reason, which is to hold this stuff at arm's length. Oh, definitely. Um, and there's value in that, and, I, and, I, and, and, and there's times where that's exactly what you need to do, but there are other times where you sit with the discomfort of not being able to make sense of it in words and still feel it. I don't mean, I don't think it's about the arm's length thing. Like you just said, it's, it's like goes beyond words. So it's just this, isn't it just an attempt at labeling? So I think that there's a, a really, so if we come back to what the purpose of language is, if we want to go that deep, oh it's about communication, right? <laughs> but there are two different ways of trying to communicate about this stuff. One is to try and explain what you're feeling and the other is to try and understand what you're feeling. What's the difference? And I think those are two quite different projects. And I think that often... Yeah, I'd agree. Often what we try and do, first and foremost, is explain ourselves. Yeah. Or be explained. And that is an ultimately unsatisfying process, particularly if you are someone whose feelings often, as I say, don't make obvious sense. So wait on, is this... You're you're right back with the sense thing. (laughs) Like... In, in, so in a perfect world, you yeah. would have your feelings and you would experience those feelings mm. and you would make a decision or um, a choice as to how you're going to be with those feelings. Mm. Now, we don't live in that perfect world because when we feel those big feelings, they have consequences, yep. relationships, jobs, mortgages, work, whatever. Mm-hmm. So there are constraints, but I think if we if we're talking about getting a handle on it it's like look at it without the constraints to see where the truth is in that because one of the things in this in the second part of the question was around privilege yeah and like you know I basically am i allowed to feel depressed or privileged 
Yes. And the short answer is yes. Yeah. Like yeah. a week doesn't go by when somebody who is 50 million times more privileged than you mm. doesn't talk about feeling depressed or suicidal or anxious or any of those things. This is not about where you are on the prosperity scale. There's not a, one little bit. There's a Viktor Frankl quote about this in, is it Man's Search for Meaning? Mm. So Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the Holocaust in concentration camps. He talks about how suffering is like a gas. It, it expands to fill up whatever space there is. Mm. And essentially he's saying, you know, life in a really horrible situation and life in an objectively less horrifying situation there's still going to be suffering. Mm-hmm. There's still going to be pain. And if you, if your frame is, I am not allowed to feel suffering. I am not allowed to feel pain. That's a difficult starting point. Mm. Yeah, but I think the thing is, so this is to kind of go back to what you were saying about the explanation versus understanding thing. Mm. I remember when someone talked about sometimes these diagnostic approaches can actually kind of be in a non-explanation. Trauma lens is like something happened to you. The reasoning or blame is apportioned there. Mm. And then the like, well, you talked about the chronic depression or biological, like whatever it gets called, kind of sits in this like non-explanation place where it doesn't have a reason. So this thing of like suffering without a cause Mm feels like it's not you're not supposed to do it Mm. i think that's where people um feel bad about it Mm. because it's the it's the non-explanation is the bit that can make it really difficult oh i'd agree yeah i mean certainly my experiences when it came to me is like i just wanted all explanation yeah Yeah. i spent years (laughs) looking for explanation dude me too I guess as I went through repeated experiences of it, mm. I'm still curious. Mm. Like, you know, if they pull out a great paper on serotonin that's compelling <laughs> and, and absolutely rock solid rather than like, oh, well, it's kind of correlational, so we don't know, but maybe. Yeah. Like if they came out with something super physiological, I'd be like, wow, that's really fascinating. I'll be really curious about that. I got but, super enticed by the idea of like one of those sad lamps for a while. Oh, yeah, the season like, adjustment lamps. Well, it's a, I mean, it, yeah. it is a piece of technology. Yeah. It's and light. I, and I totally noticed the difference when I moved from the North Island of New Zealand to the South. Mm. So the North Island is essentially sort of Mediterranean um, climate. My, my mood shifts through the seasons were almost negligible. And the last two years I've been on the South Island, which is a much more uh, seasonal you know, part uh. of the country. I notice it. I see autumn and I go down. I see winter. I get sort of hibernating. I see spring. I come up. But like what a I was flower, <laughs> a little garret flower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, definitely spent years looking for explanations, and still I'm interested in the explanation. I've mm. got a mind, and I'm, you know, it's, I'm kind of curious. But what I noticed every time I went through the the traps again. I got more and more interested in what is in this for me? Mm. What is this experience showing me? What can I gain from it? Because what I noticed is every time I came through it, you know, there'd be some shifts. Mm. And I think most of the time in the early days, you get through a period where, you know, doctors would call you depressed. I'd prefer other language, but that would be the, the name for it. You get through it and then you go, God, I'm just so glad I don't feel that shit anymore. And then you move on. 
But you do that two, three, four times, <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to really have a little jolly good think about what's different now. Because there is, there's huge changes when you come out of those, those, those periods. That's my experience. So I'm equally as interested as how do we integrate and assimilate these experiences whilst maintaining a kind of curiosity about, you know, what's it all about? That's so it, because I think the question behind what's the cause, that, that, that question, big question, is essentially a deeper one, which is what, what am I supposed to learn from this mm. so that it doesn't fucking happen again? That's, and when we don't have an answer to that question, it's terrifying. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing that's fucking terrifying. I feel like I'm there. Mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just don't think I have. So I feel like I went through a couple of times where I felt like I learned the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've then I came the back thing. and I was like, I must have learned the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to the end of the second time, I think I was like, whoo. I, no, I was wrong last time. It was this thing that I needed to learn. I've got it. Mm. And then I think maybe by the third, maybe fourth time, I was like, none of the things are the things. <laughs> like, and and I think that I uh, was pro- that was probably good. Like I was less black and white about it. I didn't come out the end being like, I found the key. I was like, ah, uh, there's some things I've learned. <laughs> yes, uh, it was learning, yeah. But uh, let's not get uh, ahead <laughs> of ourselves. Yeah, but maybe it's like, you know, it's not like learning an instrument where you just get better and better at one thing. It's like learning to be the whole orchestra. Mm. And last year you learned the violin and this year you're learning the cello and next year you'll learn the oboe and eventually you'll put the whole thing together. And there is also something here about if the main lesson you're looking for is how to avoid it, yeah, that's the one I want. You're still Damn in it. that place, Gareth, that you're describing of, of judging it as bad. Mm. Yeah. And I, th- and I think, again, just to be really clear, like <laughs> you can totally validate how hard it is, mm. how upsetting it is, how much of an impact it has on your life yep. and relationships and all of that. Like I totally get that. It's, it's the bad word, bad, wrong straight away you're into this judgment of something that just is. It just is. And the more you fight it, the harder it gets. Mm. And I'll give you the flip side. So my diagnosis is bipolar, which means I have experiences of what they call mania, which looks like a whole ton of fun. (laughs) Super energized, (laughs) phenomenally creative. You know, all your appetites are up, you know, just could charm, you know, the water off a duck's back. It looks amazing, and some of it is truly amazing. Mm. However, there's still things to be learned. You come through those phases because it's it's even more destructive than depression. Mm. You know, you spend recklessly, yeah. burn relationships, and do a whole bunch of real risk-taking behaviours. So there's real dangers in there, mm. in that experience. But again, I'd be really loath to judge it as bad. Mm. Like, yeah, just finding a way to, to accept that it's tough and it's challenging without giving it that real, yeah, that veneer of um, criticism. Until, until I got that, I just felt like I was cycling through it. Mm. Until I realised, because essentially, you know, you're treating it like you treat cancer. You're like, just cut this shit out of me. Yeah. Mm. Can you just cut the depression out of me? Can you cut the mania out of me? Mm. But it isn't. It's an aspect of your character. It's an aspect of your soul. It's an aspect of who you are. Mm. No! <laughs> cut it out! 
<laughs> and maybe this is the generational thing. Because in my 20s, I would definitely have been like, just cure this shit. Give me the pill. Give me the pill that takes all this pain away. And I'll just go back to whatever my life was before. Yeah, yeah. bitch. I would have done that. And if that would have worked, it would have worked by now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And finding some peace with that. Because beyond that then becomes a celebration of it. And uh, that's the weirdest thing to sell. The, up, <laughs> the upside of depression is a hard sell. But the last time yeah, I I'm got not depressed, clicking on that Instagram. I'm not buying yet. <laughs> I'm not buying. Well I have a I have a flip side of that, because that's kind of like that's sort of like the how do I use this experience to learn and grow and change and all that kind of stuff? But there's a piece here that I feel like is getting talked about more, mm. which is that, you know, humans are kind of hardwired to not have a great time a lot of the time. As in like, yep. you know, the hedonic treadmill of like, we will always, the only constant is desire. So the yeah. hedonic treadmill is like that y- you'll constantly desire something more than you have. That's the only constant. Mm. That you will, you know, want these microphones. One, at one point I really wanted these microphones <laughs> we're using. I really, more than that, I also really wanted to know how the shit they worked because I remember when I didn't know how to yeah. do any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And now I know it. I don't care. Now I want something else. <laughs> so that kind of hedonic treadmill is, is uh, that, that's a factor, you know, our negativity bias of like we're much more aware and magnetized to stuff that is uh, scary or uh, a threat to us. Yeah. Mm. What's some other ones? Come on, guys. What's some other ones? Well, also that, that some of us are more magnetized than others. Sure. Which I think can you can take really personally when you first start to notice that. But to come to Gareth's point of, you know, the differences between this stuff in your 20s and your 40s, because I'm right in between. Yeah. Um, is that I'm starting to see... I've been, I've been around long enough to see, A, that there's a whole lot of people who are as, just as magnetized as I am to the, to the <laughs> tough stuff. But also that even those people that I thought weren't, even those you know friends of mine that I thought of as, to use Sarah Wilson's phrase, life naturals, um, some of them are just now having their mid-30s breakdown. Yeah. Um, I think everybody gets their moment. Yeah, to shine. And to some extent, <laughs> you know, you might as well get in there early and start doing the hard yakka. <laughs> I did actually, I, I worked with someone who said that, a mentor of theirs, actually, uh, had said that it's good to have a crisis more often and just, like, correct course a little bit than get to Definitely. whatever, I don't know, 50 and be like, holy fuck, I was going the wrong way this the whole, whole time. time. But I don't know, like, I'd like, I like that idea and then on other days I'm like, maybe that's just bullshit. But have you met any 50-year-olds who've got there? Because I know a few, and Harley Davis's are super expensive <laughs> <laughs> and quite dangerous. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, <sighs> well, maybe to go back to your hedonic thing, mm. like again, the very fact that you can see that and see it for the trap that it is means you. 
got a perspective on it. So for example, I was the same with gear, like microphones and instruments and all the rest. So learning to recognize that you got what you wanted and celebrate that rather than go, what's next? Mm. Like, you know that there's a, there's a thing there that's going to propel you onto the next thing. And you know there's a thing there that's going to magnetize you to negativity. So if you turn the news on, 40 minutes later, you'll still be watching the news because it's, it's absolutely piping you what you want. So turn it off. Put the phone down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, don't be the rat in the cage chasing the cocaine. The rat doesn't know he's chasing the cocaine. We do. So yeah. there's some power in that. Even if we don't do it all the time, there's at least enough to go, oh, I've been really hitting the cocaine in the trap really hard for a few weeks. Maybe <laughs> I'll pull back a little. So how are these rats getting such good <laughs> drugs? I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like I think that probably if you're like me, it can be difficult to do that without it cuz it is like judgment. You're like, "Oh, why am I still so I like I know I shouldn't be reading the news in the morning, but why am I mainlining all the worst crap that's happening in the world?" Yeah. And uploading it to my head as soon as I wake up. And yet here I am doing it. And, and also the other thing is like you're fighting against like, I don't know, I just read a, just on the news tech stuff, like listening to a podcast from a guy, the guy who created Time Well Spent, which is an organization around like yeah. trying to revolutionize tech, make people aware of the attention economy, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, one way I think to be compassionate to yourself of when you're, you know, standing in front of the kid, the, the, the fridge <laughs> eating your son's cake, or you're like, you know, on freaking Instagram or whatever when you don't really want to be, yeah. is that there is, like, particularly the social media thing, there is millions and millions of dollars invested into making you do that thing that you don't want to do. Yeah, but if you remember the cake thing, when you're eating the cake in your underpants, that's not the time to give that's yourself right. the it's hard time. It's not the time. time to kick yourself. It's the that's bit right. after where you go, oh, I did it again last night and now there's no cake and my son's crying. What can I do different? Yeah. Mm. And like this, True. like one of the things with tech that I find really interesting, maybe because I'm this age, but also because I've worked in tech, is like we're really quick to blame the tech. Mm. And like the single biggest tech problem we've got is artificial lighting. If we didn't have artificial lightning, we would rise with the sun and go to sleep with the sunset. (laughs) Our biological clocks would be entirely in tune with the nature that we're trying to save. Yeah. Now We couldn't even find the cake. (laughs) So I'm not saying we should live without electric lighting, but we should live with the awareness of what electric lighting is doing to us Mm. and every now and again trying to find a way to reset that purposefully and intentionally every now and then is 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 key there i think mm. so 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 to kind of bridge this generational divide this might be how we close because um, we're hearing from you gareth you said this earlier on the, the gratefulness for your vices the willingness to see depression as not simply this bad experience even though it's a well i'm gonna go further hard one see it as good to see it as good if we're gonna have a judgment let's go the other way yep so there's that, this is the kind of one perspective, and then we have Anna with the 
some doubts and some questions about this, and I'm and I'm and it's I'm a thinking, very moderate way of saying <laughs> very diplomatic. He's trying to find the middle ground. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking if if that was my role in my family, it's my role here. Um, I'm thinking that that if that seems out of reach, you know, is is the first piece this piece of of coming back to awareness that isn't judgment. So yes, judgment is always going to be our first. Mm. Well, maybe not always, but right now is our first way of being aware is to judge, and then there's something that comes after that, and and even if it's just for a moment, even if it's just like the the, the littlest breath of of awareness of of a feeling that isn't saying I shouldn't feel this way. Go with curiosity. Mm. Go with like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Look what's happening. Look how angry, frustrated, sad, upset Tense. I am at the Anxious, moment. Yeah. Scared. Yeah. I mean, again, this is something I've been really noticing of myself that lately I've been doing some particular therapy, digging into some of my sort of family history stuff and looking at kind of trying to understand why I feel the way that I do. To go back to Amy's question of, you know, is it, is it for any reason or not? And there's never really a satisfying answer to that why, but there is in that when process say, of digging. When you say, like, feel the way that you do, what do you even mean? Ah, I mean, you could call it depression, certain doctors have, but I call it just like living with a scream trapped inside my chest 24-7. Hot. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so... This, this, you know, digging, I've been digging into that and, and, and it hasn't come up with a satisfying answer, but it has given me this new awareness. Yeah. And so simply noticing that I still sometimes often feel like I did when I was a kid is a, is, is a different awareness. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection. So yeah. it doesn't answer, it doesn't explain. Again, it helps me understand rather than explain. And that word is key because mm. I'll put this question to the pair of you. If you're still looking for explanations. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Let's say tomorrow you wake up and you open your email and there's a little message in there from the universe that says, Dear Honor, dear Graham, here is your explanation for your feeling. <laughs> what would you do? Market is unread and uh, <laughs> stressed about when I was going to reply. <laughs> Unsubscribe. Wait, I it wouldn't. It would depend what the explanation okay. was. Okay. Well, just pick one. Pick one that you, you you think would be nice to hear. What would you do if you got the explanation? <laughs> okay. I'll give you a paper. It's a brain disease. You've uh. got unbalanced chemicals. It's absolutely uncontroversially true. Oof. There's no margin of doubt. I'll go the other way. It's a trauma. You've had some really horrible things happen in your life. It's absolutely uncontroversially proven that depression is trauma-related. It's funny because both of those brings their own layers of judgment. It doesn't solve the judgment problem. But what do you actually do? What difference does it make to what well, you do? That's my point. Yeah. That's my point. Like, none, of, none of the explanations solve the judgment problem for me. And, that, and that's, I think that's where I'm coming back to the... You know, the gratefulness and the seeing it as a good thing may be down the line, but I think the beginning is this judgment piece. Yeah. Your answer. Well, both of those made me want to spew a bit, Please. particularly the first one. Which one? Oh, the, the, the explanation. Yes. 
I think I just felt spewy after the first one, the mm. second one. Was <laughs> just sort of collateral spew. <laughs> yeah, that's collateral spewiness. Tactical spew after the first, yeah, get it. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is whatever the explanation, you still have to do something. Mm. It's interesting because I think that... So the explanation interacts so much with heaps of other shit. Like, mm. I mean, this is not an answer to your question. Great. But <laughs> <laughs> here we go. But but if there was a clear explanation. Like, surely we would set up things around that explanation. Does that make sense? Well, we do. They're the two leading contenders for explanations, and we've got pills and we've got therapy. And you've probably already done both. Yeah, but, like... <laughs> so, like, the explanation doesn't matter. To some extent, like, be curious, have an intellectual, like, oh, I wonder what this is all about. But it doesn't really massively impact because you probably tried the pills and had your experience, good, bad, or indifferent. You probably tried the therapy with the same. Mm. Like, at some yeah. point... I mean, I think the yeah. thing that I get frustrated with, and this is like a systemic thing, is like, I get frustrated with the whole, we've given you all the, like, explanations that make you feel like a pile of shite, um, but we won't give you the treatments that, that we say. Does that make sense? I would say because the explanations are wrong. That's yeah. my I just think it's so silly that, I don't know, that's my constant frustration yeah. of like, pile you with this thing that makes you feel like a piece of crap about yourself and but, but don't... But still don't have an answer. But don't provide the thing that even you think is the answer. That's what I find irritating. But that's because it's not, you know, obviously it's not, uh, this is going into a whole like, how the <laughs> but obviously it's not set up in that logical way. And, and that's like so many social services, which, I, which I, is like, you know. I think this is what I'm taking from what you're saying and to, to, to sort of tie it back into the, the overall theme here is that any attempt to explain is a kind of judgment. In this realm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We absolutely understand why and the impulse to do so because pain it brings up that question of why this is something you've said before Anna. suffering is really connected to this question of why and yet as I think you're driving it Gareth that question tends to only lead to more judgement yeah like pain isn't the worst thing eh it's painful I get it it's painful <laughs> but it's not bad I guess I keep coming back to that so for me what I made a purposeful effort to do was to design a life that allowed me to have these feelings. Mm. See, this is the bit uh, that yeah, I yeah, get yeah. stuck on. Yeah. yeah. So tell us more about that again. So I guess broadly speaking, I made really difficult and potentially risky life choices that allowed me to have the ebb and flow of my feelings life. You give us an example. Yeah, so I mean, some of it's really tangible, like walk. Like I've got this whole this whole thing in the back of my head that I've been constructing for the last few months about the death of ambition. Mm. Like you know, I'm I'm back in Melbourne, and man, the rat race is whoa, so seductive. 
so fast and it's so, you know, driven and there's so many rewards. I've seen cars on the streets around here and I'm like, whoa, they used to be on TV shows, you know? <laughs> so there's so much in this. I'm like, if, if you're, if you're deciding, if you're making the choice that the rat race is for you mm. and you're a big feeler, mm. then you've got some, some hard work to do because mm. the, the rat race isn't designed for big feelers. So I'm not saying you have to give up on the rat race, but you have to live it with the consciousness that you are, yeah, putting yourself in a situation that might not serve you the best. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think it just as a real world example of that, Honor and I are in this startup accelerator right now with the Big Feels Club. It's part of, part of why we're, you know, bugging you guys so much about what you want from us. Because <laughs> we're trying to figure that out. We're trying to figure out ways that we can try and change the world. And that, it's been full on. Like we're talking long days of work, working through weekends. We're talking like all the stuff that I used to think I couldn't do. And it's not that I can't do it. It's just that it's fucking hard. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, I would phrase what you're saying slightly differently, which is to not say that it, not say that it's sort of not built for me, just to say I'm trying to acknowledge that it's okay that it's hard yeah because right now i'm still choosing it and and, yeah. and there's good reasons to choose it right yeah. now but to know that it's okay that i find it really hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> over to the 20s <laughs> you screw you both <laughs> <laughs> fuck all y'all <laughs> i'm just trying to fit in bitches <laughs> 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 And I'm, you know, objectively doing a good job of it, but still feeling like you're a failure. See, I don't, I disagree. With which bit? <laughs> the objectively doing a good job. I'm shocked. <laughs> what is, what is, what is, I'm going to leave this to you because we're going to wrap this up. What is, what is our common ground then here? Oh, fuck. Um... <sighs> <laughs> is it horse related? <laughs> Thinking you're talking about the rat race, I'm like, are we back on the cocaine rats again? <laughs> I would like to add an adjunct. Mm. Like, I definitely tailored my life to suit my temperament, and by golly, managed to find that that was an even more successful way of winning in the rat race. Yeah, I was. I, I think that's well worth it. Like, like, I didn't cop out. I didn't, you know, fall over and go and hide. Mm. Maybe for a little bit. Yeah. But I managed to, because, you know, I'm still interested in rallies. I'm here in Melbourne. I'm still interested in what goes on in the cotton thrust of the modern world. And there's still some hiding. Like, you do quit the mental health system once a year. Yeah. <laughs> My annual resignation. Yeah. yeah. Which I yeah. think is a good survival strategy. Definitely. You can have it all, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like, I'm definitely not there. I don't think I've worked it out yet. Mm. I don't actually know what is good for my temperament mm. yet, I think. Mm. Mm. I've been I've been thinking a lot lately that I have like uh I'm kind of like Canada. <laughs> I have two seasons, which is winter and construction. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, I do feel like often I'm either, like, I never really feel like I'm smashing it, but I feel kind of 
harried in a way I enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Or um, <laughs> like really fucking depressed. Yeah. So so um, yeah, I like I want to work out how to make that work. I'd like I'd like winter to not be quite so cold. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. The hailstorms, I'm just not on board with. I've had yeah. to replace my windscreen like five times. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, I think maybe this is a very like 20s, like, like maybe that's quite a very 20s. End. I mean, what do you think, Graham? Are you smashing it? Oh, I, I'm feeling both of you. It's so funny. It's that, yeah, I really feel like I'm in between. Like I do, I do think I'm, I do think I'm doing pretty well. I think 20 year old me would have been like, wow, okay, cool. But I also feel just as sensitive and easily blown apart as I did at 20. (laughs) So it's... It is that project Gareth's describing of finding a life where there's room for that, yeah. which still feels like a work in progress. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think I feel less confident than I did when I was 20. Yeah, right. Oh, you know, yeah, I would agree with that actually too. I'm talking more 23 when I was having a complete meltdown. I would have just looked at me and be like, wow, you have any kind of job? Good for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still like to congratulate myself on still being alive. Yeah. Like I'd say 45, he's like, yeah, you're 45, still alive. <laughs> you know? You've got this. Because feelings in the 40s, I don't care whether I'm smashing it. Yeah. I enjoy it when I do. Yeah. But I also enjoy it when I don't. And in fact, I seek out failure now. Yeah. Like, show me the worst experience I have I could possibly have around this so I can get better, so I can learn, so I can find out more about myself. Because, yeah, you you will naturally get better at what you're doing because you're doing it a lot, Mm. you know? It will happen. Mm. You just have to enjoy where you're at while still holding that aspiration to be better. Enjoy the mics you've got while still, you know, gazing at the $5,000 ones online. Mm. Yeah, like you can do both. There's no no point. You're not going to wake up on a Tuesday and go, done it. (laughs) That's it, man. That's my life well and truly sorted. (laughs) Because <laughs> yeah, for a start, Tuesdays are shit anyway. Sure. So it'd be the wrong day. But yeah. there is no final assessment. There's no like, you got a B and you got an A minus and you failed. And that's all in us, mm. you know? But that might be, you know, 45 and still alive. Mm. 29 <laughs> and feeling fine. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Gray. 35 and confused and in between. <laughs> hey, what <laughs> like a like a true songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Big Feels Question Time. We managed to stretch out two questions to the length of a feature length podcast episode. So <laughs> we'll see if we can get to those other ones soon and you'll hear from us again. Same time next year? Yes, that's good. Regular, right? Death Regular. of ambition. Death of ambition. <laughs> next time coming from Winter. (laughs) Winter is coming.